Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. The United Arab Emirates, one of the world's wealthiest oil states and host of the upcoming UN climate talks in November, has tried to significantly green its image through a wide-ranging PR and lobbying campaign that began in 2019. The goal is to persuade U.S. officials and the American public that the UAE's plan to expand its oil and gas drilling is compatible with international efforts to slash the use of fossil fuels. However, the UAE's efforts and its status as UN climate change conference host are facing a barrage of criticism from lawmakers and environmentalists in both the United States and Europe. So today, Politico Zach Coleman breaks down why the UAE is trying to green its image and the pushback. It's Thursday, June 8th. I mean, this is some great reporting with my colleague over on the E&E side of the wall, uh, Corbin Heyer, uh, who you know, started looking back at filings under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. And we really found that UAE has been paying to green its image since, you know, at least 2019. I mean, this is a, a big lobbying push to get the climate talks hosted in your country. I mean, there's big competition for this. It brings thousands, tens of thousands of people to the host city. And it's a big area of prestige for a country that is trying to project this green image like the United Arab Emirates is. And this is unprecedented. I mean, it really is something that Corbyn, who led a lot of this reporting, uh, really showed pretty well in the text of the story that this is unparalleled what UAE has done to brandish this and burnish this climate image of theirs. Yeah, when you mention it's unprecedented, I mean, how does this level of climate focus advocacy compared to other countries? And you you do cite some examples in your text. Right. I mean, the UAE has gone out and shelled out contracts that would have been in the high six figures. Uh, you know, my reporting revealed that these contracts were abruptly canceled. I mean, you have to go, you look past several climate conferences, you don't see the UK, you don't see Fiji, you don't see Morocco, you don't see Chile hiring PR firms, at least not US-based ones, in any real major capacity. And now you have the UAE uh, signing at least two that we know of to work directly on the COP and then abruptly canceling them with Edelman and BCW. These are two major global PR companies. And, and, you know, we don't know exactly why these these contracts ended or who ended them. But the UAE has been hammered with some negative stories. I mean, there are concerns about whether they are, are seriously committed to a quick transformation away from fossil fuels. This is a very oil and gas rich country, and a lot of their economy depends on that. So while they might see a greener future, the question is, is the green future they see one that measures up with the best available climate science? Yeah, and supporters of climate action are divided on whether they see the UAE as a genuine climate broker at the upcoming COP. So what are detractors saying? I mean, they're saying essentially that the UAE and other oil-rich states, especially in the Persian Gulf, are trying to hold on to natural gas as this bridge fuel to renewables that you know, with the global conversation right now about energy security, that there's concern uh, the UAE, which 
as hosts of the talks, will play a huge role in deciding the final outcome of the text and deciding which deals to make, which compromises to make, that they will water down the text, essentially, to create more of a lifeline for natural gas, which they do export. And, you know, this is kind of what you hear from a lot of Middle East countries, too, that they want to reduce their domestic consumption of oil and gas, but also to export what they produce. So it's not that they see zero fossil fuels in the future. They might actually be earnestly committed to decarbonizing at home. And I think that there is a good strand of that within the UAE itself, that they do want to get to a greener future. I mean, they have invested a lot in renewables, but it is also with this eye to, you know, we need to have this comparative advantage exporting fossil fuels because that's how we make money in this country. And that's the concern that climate activists have, which is they're going to still create some space for, for many decades more of fossil fuel use. Right. And the summit's president and lead climate negotiator from the UAE, he's come under real scrutiny in recent weeks in particular. So what sort of criticism and pressure is he facing here? And why is the Biden administration so far standing by him? Yeah, I mean, Sultan Al-Jaber is, is someone who I think that when you look at some of the reporting we did, I think that there's some sense of like, they feel, why are we getting this negative coverage? You know, Sultan Al-Jaber created the state-backed renewables company. He was put in charge of the state-backed oil company because he wants to transition it off of fossil fuels because he sees a greener future for the world. He sees the writing on the walls. He, he has experience to do both here. And sure, I mean, there is a truism here that if we're going to solve climate change, you need the UAE and you need national oil companies, state-backed oil companies to reduce their emissions. And I think that's what you see John Kerry President Biden's climate envoy saying that UAE has to be part of the solution. They have to see a future for themselves. And that's essentially what Al Jaber is saying is, you know, we know how to do this. There are other people in the same boat as us, other countries in the same boat as us. We have to make this palatable for many nations across the world that will have a very rocky, abrupt transition if we just cut off fossil fuels tomorrow. So there is some merit to that. I mean, you need to get everyone playing along. And if you make the transition painful, then it will potentially prolong the transition in a political sense. But at the same time, you need to be honest with yourselves about how much carbon budget is left. How many emissions can we continue to put into the air without really tempting fate and causing climate catastrophe? And in, in many sense, we already see the climate effects on our doorstep, and they are visible today. So anything that you can do to reduce warming now is something that should be done. And I think that's where the friction is. Also, on Wednesday, Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware and Republican Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota introduced legislation that would take the first step toward penalizing imports of high-polluting goods. It's a rare bipartisan effort in Congress that could insert climate change policy into U.S. trade rules. The duo's bill would require the Energy Department to study the emissions intensity from the manufacturing of certain products produced in the U.S., as well as allied countries and adversaries. However, the legislation stopped short of actually imposing so-called border adjustment fees, which would be tacked on to products from foreign companies whose carbon emissions are higher than those of their U.S. competitors. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Rakemaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow.
Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is striving to lead the way in the energy transition. They're working to deploy carbon capture and producing renewable fuels, developing multiple solutions today while forging new paths to the future. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash energy in progress.